This morning when you came in, you can see that we're going to be talking about something that we all deal with. And maybe we're better at it, maybe we're still dealing with it, but how do we deal with when others succeed? How do we deal with it when, when we see people who are so-called bad do well? How do we deal with that? And we're ending our series, More God, Less Me, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. How do we deal with it when others succeed? When we were in high school, we would have to take certain tests. You know, you'd have to take uh, uh, like a, a running test. You could see who could run the fastest, the farthest. You'd have to, and this is in PE, you'd have to do, you know, the most sit-ups, the most uh, uh, pull-ups and all of that. And I remember being in that, that test phase where we all had to take those tests and see where we were in this chart on who was, you know, the top of the class and who did well. Uh, and I remember that when we went through that, the football guys were, you know, they'd kind of compete with each other and they could see who was better. And I remember we were doing pull-ups and I did, you know, so many pull-ups and, and then others went and nobody was beating me. And I thought, maybe, maybe I'll be like the top person. And then my friend went and he beat me. And I, when he got closer to my score, my, my, uh, how much I did, the closer he got, the more upset I got, and the more I looked for fault in him. And I started to say, coach, coach, he, he's not doing it right. Coach, look at his legs. He's kicking. Coach, he's not doing him good. Coach, his chin not even over the bar. Coach, and, and coach this, coach that, and everything. I was starting to complain because he was getting closer to my score. And then finally when he passed, I, he was my friend, but I still was upset because he did better than me. And I looked for everything he did wrong. And it took me years to just let that go. And then he would say things like, oh, I beat you. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't rubbing it in, really. He was just letting me know that I didn't do as good as he did. It wasn't a bad thing. It was just between friends. And I thought, what is it inside of us that causes us to almost, maybe not jealous, but have a tendency to not, not be okay when other people succeed? That there's something inside of us that, that will... We'll almost judge when others do well. And not that we're mad or upset. It's just something inside of us that doesn't like it when other people do well. Especially if that person does not like you or talks bad about you or says things that, that makes you look bad, whatever the case may be. Or maybe they're people who cut corners. They take shortcuts. Or they manipulate or they say things that, that aren't true. They're dishonest. And you see them excel. And then something happens inside of us. And, and we think that, that what they're doing and, and, and who they're becoming or their success is something bad. Or we are not okay with it. And it's almost like we can come to a place where when they start to excel and succeed, if we're not careful, we become just like them without even knowing it. Then we become like them. We start slandering them. We start talking bad about them. We start pointing out their flaws. Well, it's because, well, they're like that, so they, they better be able to take their own medicine if I'm saying this, but we tend to forget that we're not like the world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not you. In fact, Jesus came to set us free from that. Jesus was the perfect example. 
when others succeeded. He was that perfect model. And that's what we want to look at this morning, how we can be people who are just like Christ or have that same character quality of Jesus Christ when others succeed. Paul the Apostle understood what that meant when others succeeded because that was his role, that was his goal after he came to know Christ, was for others to succeed. That's where we get most of the New Testament. It's Paul the Apostle passing down all of the things that God has done in his life and and the Lord's teaching so that others can succeed and build churches and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing, but that's not who Paul was prior to meeting Jesus Christ. He was one, his name was Saul before he came to know Christ. He was one who would put Christians down. He would put other people down. And his goal was to be the best at what he did, which was judge people. That's pretty much what he did because he followed the laws of God. The laws of God alone, separate from his spirit and his love, just the laws alone will produce judgment. That's what it does. And we don't want to be people who judge. We want to be people who, who are just like Christ and have those Christ-like qualities. Now, if you read in the Scriptures, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And we'll wonder, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. If we're not supposed to be like jealous and that's not a good thing to have, why does the Bible say that God is jealous? Well, God's jealousy and the jealousy that the Bible is talking about in that context is a zealous God. And it's used interchangeably when it's speaking of God's zealousness for us. That apart from Him, God does not want us to be with anyone else. That we worship any other God. Why? Because nothing's going to happen with those other gods. No life will happen. No success will happen. Only death. And so God's zealousness towards us is like a jealousy of, I don't want you to be with anybody else because you're not going to do well there. I created you for me and my purpose. And so God, His jealousy is used as not bearing any rival. That's what it is. That there is no other that compares to Him. In fact, there's a severe anger, and it's a righteous anger, when we depart from God. When we leave God's presence and we say, I don't want to have anything to do with you, that's called sin. When mankind was separated from God, God's anger, His righteous anger came up because what He's saying is, you don't understand, you're not going to do well in life apart from Me. And so that anger, which we call God's wrath, needed to be satisfied. That's why Jesus went to the cross to satisfy that wrath because of sin. So now we can come to God and, and, and almost come together and saying, okay, so that means, God, that no one's better than one another? No. You're all the same in my eyes. You're all my children. Yeah, but what about this person? They're doing, they're doing better than me and they, and they don't love you or they say they're a Christian and, and they don't behave like how they should. And God is saying, no, no, no. It's not you focusing on them. It's you focusing on me. I'll, I'll take care of that. But I'm calling you to be successful in my image, in who I created you to be, not to look at other people and start to defer back to your old ways, but that you would move forward and become just like me. You see, God's jealousy is not an emotion. It's not a selfish emotion. It's wanting the best for us. 
Human jealousy is a selfish emotion. It, it does not want what's best for the other person. It wants what's best for self. That's what a human jealousy tends to do. That's where domestic violence comes in. Because the selfish motive is, if I can't be with you, then no one else can. That's where slander comes in. That's where possessiveness comes in. Selfishness, sabotage, spiteful attitudes. That's where it all comes in. It's a selfish kind of emotion. See, when someone else succeeds, human jealousy has a tendency to find its way to the surface of our hearts. God can take care of that. He can do something with it. He can, he can heal us from that. And you might think, well, why, why is it so bad to feel like that? I can feel like that, but not say anything, and that should be okay. No, nope, it's not. Why? Because jealousy tends to be associated with different kinds of emotions, like anger, fear, or even feelings of humiliation. And when we feel like we're humiliated, then we close up. And then we, we never become everything God created us to be. It's almost like we'll take everybody else's uh, uh, bad behaviors and emotions and then we'll almost self-condemn ourselves and then we put a cap on our lives because we felt humiliated or, or whatever else somebody did to us or said to us. And then we'll put a cap on our lives. And then we see everybody else succeed and, and there's, a, there's a low-grade jealousy in there. And because it's still in there, we, we'll tend to put ourselves down and never become everything God made us to be. And when all of that takes place, insecurity happens. Insecurity becomes an issue, and then we become over-possessive, intimidating, or we become controlling because we're insecure. Here's how the Bible puts it. And in your bulletins, uh, there's a place for notes, and there's some scripture that you can follow along, and you can... You can uh, take some notes too. But Romans 12, 3, it talks about the grace of God. And it says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And what the Bible is not saying is be confident in the Lord. When the Bible says, oh, do not think of yourself more, more highly than you ought to, sometimes you'll say, okay, then I'll just put myself down. I, I just won't succeed. I won't do well. Why? Because I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm prideful. I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm trying to do well. That's not what the Bible is saying. In fact, we're supposed to do well because God is a God of excellence. So we're supposed to excel. We're supposed to do well in life. We're supposed to shine the light of Jesus Christ. But we're not supposed to think higher than we ought to think about ourselves. In other words, be cautious about a spiritual pride. Be cautious about our pride. Be careful that we don't judge ourselves by our talents, our behavior, our looks, our, our wealth. That that shouldn't be how we judge ourselves. If we judge ourselves by how we look or, or our wealth or our talents, then that means whoever is not in our eyes, as talented or wealthy or good-looking, then they're not as good as us. That's not what we should be judging ourselves by, nor other people. That's not. That's not how God judges us. He looks at the heart. He looks at the inward being. That's why the Bible says, just humble yourself. Think modestly. and not, Don't overly estimate your Christian character. Don't, we cannot be people who, who think that, well, because I know God, then I know better. Let me tell you, the closer you get to the light and you look in the mirror, the more flaws you should see. 
And some of us stay away from the mirror because we don't want to see any more flaws. We buy different lighting so we look better in the mirror. But what God is saying is, you're, you're to represent me well. And we tend to pride ourselves in the things we have and the talent we possess as our own creation. Like we did something about it. Yeah, we work hard. Yes, we do our best to improve. But all that we are, all our gifts should be accredited to God. Because He's the one that created us. When I have that kind of attitude, then pride will turn into gratitude. Humility can be defined as living unto God, unto Him only, as my source of all blessings. That I understand that the things that go on in my life and what I have and and the talents that I have, the ability to do things well, is all gifts from God. It's not really us. It's more God, less me. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. In other words, what the Bible is, is, what the Bible is not saying is that you do a, like a facade kind of, Oh yeah, you're better than me. Oh yeah, you're good. Oh, you should get promoted. You should get this and that. But on the inside, you're saying, You stink. You're junk. You're no good. I hope you get demoted. And that's going on on the inside. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, You know what? Just, just think about it. Think about life. Think about that person's family. Think about their background. Think about how they grew up. And you may think, oh, that person's horrible. You don't know their story. You don't know what happened in their life. And above all, we have no idea what God is doing in that person's life. And it may very well be that he's using us as that last puzzle piece to bring this person to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That God has a plan and purpose for them. And when they succeed, it's our opportunity to shine the light of Jesus Christ. When they do well, even just a little bit, it's our, it's our heart and our opportunity to esteem them better than ourselves. Not put them in a place that says, oh, I'm junk, you're good. And it's not about that. God is saying, no, there's a heart there. There's a character quality of Jesus Christ. But we can only do that If we are secure in Jesus Christ. If you're secured in your job or your wealth or your relationship or your talent and you're secured in that, there's always going to be someone better, richer, better looking. There's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be a picture, a magazine that's going to look better, that's going to have more. There's always going to be someone else. So that should not be our gauge of of success or security. Because if it is, as we can see in the world, it can be gone just like that. Gone. Positions, gone. Owner of a company, gone. Prime minister, gone. It comes and goes. But when you're secure in the Lord, oh, that is eternal. You can write that in your first point. Because we want to be more like Jesus, so be secure in the Lord. Be secure in Him. Work is great. A a good working job, a a great paying job is great. It's not what we're talking about. That's not what success is all about. 
It's great to have that. It's great to be in a good position. It's great to be in, in a place where you can influence others for good. It's good to have that. It's good to have great friends, awards and accolades, wealth, possessions, how well our family is doing. It's, it's great, but that's not what brings security. That shouldn't be. Because if it is, once we see others succeeding, now we become insecure. But it should be based on Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to Him and are safe. In other words, there's nothing more secure than the Lord Himself. That He's a strong tower, a mighty fortress, a high tower. And the metaphor that's used here in the book of Proverbs means that like a fortress, a city, that when the enemy comes, you can run to that fortress and get into the highest place and have an advantage point. That they... The enemy can't get to you. That the things of the world cannot take you down. Why? Because we're running to God. We're running to Christ as our fortress, as our refuge, as our security. Not in a retreat mode, but in a bold move kind of heart. And we're going to Him because He's the one that has, has never failed. He's successful. He's victorious for all of eternity. And His success is different than the world's. So when we come to Him and we're, we're a part of who He is and is, is in, in His kingdom, and we run to Him as our mighty fortress, then our security is in Him, not in us, not in our talents or our skills. It's in Him. It's like God becomes home base. And we know we're always secure in Him. Remember, I'm not sure if you, you would play this, but uh, maybe they still do, uh, that game Chase Master. It's like the cheapest game alive. You don't have to buy anything. But everyone had a different skill level. You know, there are some that could run very fast, and there are some that did not run as fast. And so you you try your very best to play the game, and, and regardless of, of how well you did, very rarely were there teams you know, Chase Master, you're on your own. Somebody was it, and then everybody runs. And it's usually the fastest person. Oh, I be it. I be it. I can be it. Because I know I'm going to catch everybody. I know I can out somebody. But there would always be something that we called base. And then we would find something. Oh, what is base? What is base? Um, the pole. Okay, the, bo- the pole is base. And whenever you touch the base, you are safe. And, and if you were like fast and arrogant, then you would, you would run to the base and then the person would be standing there and you go, you can't catch me. You can't catch me. Oh, oh, too slow. Oh, you get, oh, oh, you almost got me. Oh, here's my hand. Here's my hand. Oh, oh, you got me. Ah, my foot is on base. You know, see my foot. My foot is on base. And it's like, it didn't matter what part of your body touched the base. You could do anything. And it was like, ah, I'm on base. Ah, I safe, I safe, I safe. That's how it is with Jesus Christ. That our life with Him, we're safe with Him. We're secure, not in a retreatful kind of way, but we're safe from the enemy. We're secure in Him. Our security is not in the economy, not in our position, not in our job or our career. It's in Him. Then He adds everything else. Why? Because we're, we're not looking to those things to add security in our lives. It's more God, less me. Then by the time He adds the job, the career, the pay, and all of that, it doesn't take us off base. Because we're safe in Him. We're secured in Him. That's why we draw close to Him. When we run from God, we become insecure in who we are because our security now is in something else. 
And when someone else does better than me or receives something I wanted, my emotions begin to shape my character and even my actions as a Christian also. But that's not what is supposed to shape us. It's supposed to be God and His hand upon us. It says in Hebrews 13:5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you, as you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's our base. And we, we, we tend to put our security in temporary things, but they will leave us. And those things will forsake us. Those things will abandon us. But He will never abandon us. He's our base. Be content. Be content with who God is making us to be. You can write that in your second point. To be content. Don't compare. Oh, it's so easy to compare. It's it's hard to pull away from that because we live in a society that it's all about comparison. All the shows that are on TV, most of them, competitions, it's all about comparing. It's all about judging. And and although it's fun and, and you need that to see who the winner is, we think that that's how it is with life. And so now we tend to compare ourselves. And once we do that, then again, now when others succeed and, and they do well, we feel like we've been shortchanged. Forgetting that it's God's hand on us saying, don't worry about it. I got my hand on you. Your success rate should be in me. That's what God is saying. Be content with such things as you have. Philippians 4, 11 through 12, it says, Not that I speak from want, and this is Paul the Apostle, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He continues in Philippians 4.13, and this is his secret, and it's not in your notes, but you can write this in, and, and you can look it up later in your, in your Bible. And here's his secret, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's his secret. Paul said, I can, I can be wealthy. I can be poor. I can be rich. I can have nothing. I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That if others succeed, that's fine. My strength is in Him, not if I'm better than them. That I'm doing well in Him and I'm content in Him. That it's not if they're doing well or not that I feel like I'm doing better. No, it's I know the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm content. And that word content means to be self-sufficient. And we can almost feel like, wait a minute, so Paul is saying that we should be about self? No, it's being strengthened in Christ, that we're sufficient in Him, that we're self-sufficient in Him. That's what El Shaddai means. That's one of the names of God. He's all-sufficient. He's El Shaddai. In God, in Himself, He needs nothing more. He's self-sufficient so that when we're secure in Him and when our strength comes from Him, we're sufficient in Him. We're okay. We'll be fine. And Paul learned that it was not of himself that made him content. It was Christ who dwelt in him as his strength of being content. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8, 
He tells his young protege as he's raising him up, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Reminds me of this one time we were at this, our friend's house. And, and one of the moms gave her son some candy a lot of candy, and said, go share it with everyone else. Well, he took all of the candy, and he gave everyone one each. Like, he just passed out one each. And then they were like, well, can we have some more? He said, no, you guys have already. And the mom said, pass out all the candy. It's not only for you. Pass it out. And he goes, yeah, but they're going to have more. He said, but look how much you have. And he didn't want to share. And then the mom came in. Some of us will do this. Good, give me all of that. Give me all of that. You're not going to have nothing. Give me all the candy. And then gave it all to everyone else. And he just stood there. I don't have any now. I said, yeah, because you didn't share. Now stay there. And watch everybody else eat. And everybody else did. And kids are like. Mm, it's so good. But there's one child. And I guess they felt pity because he's just <laughs> sitting there and, and came up to him and says, Do you want some candy? I don't want candy. I don't want it already. He said, No, I know you want. Here, just take. And then the other kids started to give. They started to share. And I thought they understood that they had nothing. They understood being content. They understood that what they had was not of their own. Mom could take it any time. It wasn't theirs to begin with. And what Paul is saying is we entered this world with no position, no job, no, no prestige, no wealth. We came into this world with nothing. But God, by His grace, gave us blessings. And God says, be content in what I'm doing in your life. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. And everything we've been given is because of God's grace and when others have more or do better than us, it shouldn't rattle us. It shouldn't cause that to change our hearts for the worse. It only rattles us when we compare. And once we start comparing, then we forget how good God is. For some, if, if you, and you can feel this, in, this, this um, in your mind, okay? Think of it this way. You get a brand new, whatever it is. You could fill in the blank. You get a brand new car, brand new home, brand new bike, brand new electronical gadget, brand new phone, brand new something. You fill that in. And you're content because it's brand new. It's an upgrade from something else. And you're, you're hoping for this for the longest time. And then you see someone else with a better one. A better car, a better home, a bigger house, more pay. Someone else with a, with a better job. Can you see how that contentment goes away the moment we compare ourselves with someone else? God says, well, you're going to go backwards. Because there's always going to be someone else with something better. The bigger house, better car, nicer things. More pay. And then when that happens, if we're not careful, we become discontent. And now we're not, we're not relying on God, we're relying on ourselves, and we try our best to do better at any cost. That's when it gets scary. 
So how do we change that? How do we, how do we switch that heart? How do we become more like Christ? And, and here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where our hearts are, are being molded by God. And this is your last point. And this is where it becomes difficult. But when we follow God in this and we ask for His strength, then you'll see your life change. And here it is. Rejoice when others do well. Learn to rejoice when others do well. Because it's a learning thing. It's something that we can learn. It's something that we can, we can get better at. Learn to rejoice when others do well. Not in a fake way, but it's a heart thing. You know, it's our heart has to, it has to be molded by God. And in the beginning, it, it'll almost seem fake. Like, oh, you guys are doing, oh, great. I'm so glad you're doing good. Glad you got the promotion and not me because you deserved it better. Even though you hardly work, but that's all right. You know, you did well. Your family needs it. And we can, we can almost start off that way, but God is saying, let me do something in your heart. I'm doing something in you. Learn. It's a learning thing. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for us. He took on death so we could succeed in life. That's what Jesus did. When you see someone promoted, rejoice. Rejoice. When you see someone do well, rejoice. When you see someone get a raise, rejoice. Congratulate them. When your wife does well, rejoice. When your husband does well, rejoice. When your kids do well, rejoice. Sometimes as husband and wife, when they do well, we, or they, they get a promotion or something, we say, how come? Really? You got promoted? For what? What'd you do? Or if our kids do well in school and they, they, their grades come up, we say, finally, I told you you could do that. I told you you could go from a D to a C. That's at least good. Look at that. You got one A. That's awesome. Home economics, but that's still good. And we can do it in that kind of way, or we can say, you know what, You're, I, I always believed in you. When someone does well, congratulate them, even though it may feel difficult. And what God is doing, the reason why it feels difficult is because He's chopping off everything that is not of Him. Like granite that becomes a nice, wonderful piece of art. He chips away everything that is not of Him. Oh, it hurts a little bit. It takes a while to walk in it. It's like, oh, i got to go up to them and congratulate them. Now they're my boss. Do it. In the name of Jesus. Just say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I can't walk to them right now. I don't want to congratulate them. I'm not shaking their hand. I'm not putting no lay on them. But God is saying, I'm doing something in you. I'm the one at work in you. When others succeed, rejoice. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. This is the reason why we should rejoice. It says, no one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it is who? God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. You see, when we rejoice when others succeed, you know who we're giving credit to? We're giving credit to God. We're saying when others succeed, God, you're so good. I wouldn't have promoted them because I see the exterior. But God, you know better. You're doing something in this person's life. Lord, this, you've given this person talent. They're doing such a great job. And, and boy, you've given them a reason to live. You've given them a purpose. It's you who have exalted them. When I have a problem with someone doing better than me, I don't have a problem with that person. I have a problem with God. And God says, okay, let's clear the board. Let's sit you down 
what's going on inside. But it doesn't seem fair, God. It doesn't seem fair because this is happening. That's taking place. And he's saying, I'm doing something in you. you got to trust in me. you got to know I'm doing something in you. Romans 12, 15. It tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes when someone doesn't do well, we kind of rub it in or we feel good. Like, yeah, they didn't get promoted. Or, yeah, they lost their job. Yeah, this happened. And, he say, and God is saying, don't do that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But if they're weeping, come alongside of them. Show them my heart. Show them my love. What they choose to do with that is up to them. You can console. You can, you can say, hey, man, I'm so sorry. And they can say, well, you know, whatever. You know, you probably had something to do with this. You probably had something. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that that happened. Oh, yeah, whatever. You know, you can't control what other people decide how they feel. But we can control how we feel and the decisions that we make. And I pray to God that it's godly decisions, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, but then we weep with those who weep. In our final scripture, this helps us. Proverbs twenty four seventeen: Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You see, you and I represent Jesus Christ. We represent the God of the universe. And when others do well and they succeed, and we're saying, hey, way to go, good job, who knows that God is not using that to draw them closer to Him? Because for them, they have no base. They're always running. They may not know it, but the godly run to it and are safe. The ungodly, they continuously run from God. In other words, rejoice when your enemy succeeds. Let your heart be glad when he does well. And when we do, we show the world that Jesus, they've been so desperately looking for. Then we can stand before God and say, God, I I just want more of you and less of me. Amen. Close your Bibles and put away your notes and we'll close in prayer. And as we conclude this series, just keep thinking that in every situation, I need more God, less me. And God will do that. By the way, at our information center outside, that's where you can get those cards that you can pass out for our Christmas season. The reason why we're doing it so early is not to take away from Thanksgiving, but it's because there's some service time changes that we want to make sure everyone's aware of so that you can plan well and decide what service you're going to come to. But go and grab one at our information center and uh, give those out. The greatest success that we will ever see in someone's life is when they find Jesus Christ. That should cause us to rejoice. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for modeling for us what it means to be Content, what it means to rejoice when others succeed. But most of all, for setting the example of, of helping us become the kind of people that you're looking for. And Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, for all of us, including myself, that when we see others do well, that it would be a time for us to rejoice, be glad in it, a time for us to be okay. Because it's not about them. 
It's about you and what you're doing. And so we trust in you. I pray for everyone here this morning that they would draw closer to you. That they would see you as their God. If there's anyone here this morning that you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, you've, you've never found home base. Maybe you felt like you've been running and you've been looking for that base where you're, where you're in a mighty fortress or you're, you're secured or you're safe. But it's only found in Jesus Christ. We can all say this prayer and you can repeat after me. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I want to be the person that you created me to be. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again to give me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. And if there's anyone here this morning with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you said this prayer for the very first time, could you just lift a hand? I want to pray for you and pray for God's blessing. Right there, back there, God sees your hand. Anybody else? You're saying yes to Jesus Christ. The best decision right here. God sees your hand. Hold your hands up. Lord, I pray a blessing over them. Those that said yes to you for the very first time, you can put your hands down. And I pray, Lord, that as they walk with you and as they build their relationship with you, that it will become better and better and better because their security is in you, not in the things of this world. So we thank you for being our God, the God who causes us to succeed. And when we do, you applaud us because it's all in you. More you, less us. In your name we pray. We all said amen. Can we say congratulations to those that said yes to Jesus?